Welcome to the Mac PFD Spark Podcast. This podcast is meant to inspire you to take the next step in your development journey as a faculty member. We're really excited to bring you excellent and interesting content, from inspiring you to teach or supervise more effectively, to leading and managing your own team, to thinking about creative or humanistic ways to do your work, and finally, to build up your skills in scholarly practice. We welcome you to sit back, listen, and enjoy the latest episode of the Mac PFD Spark Podcast. In this episode, we hear from Dr. Emily Belita talk about nursing research. She discusses topics such as how she became interested in nursing research, the areas of school health and youth mental health that she focuses on, and she also elaborates on some of the grants that she has received. We hope you enjoy. Welcome, Emily. It is so good to have you here today, and I'm so excited to talk with you for this podcast episode. Thank you so much, Ruth, for the opportunity to speak with you about our projects. So uh, for the listeners, I have known Emily for the past several years because Emily is a colleague of mine in the School of Nursing. However, I felt a bit selfish in uh, inviting Emily to this podcast because this was also what I felt was an opportunity for me to get to know Emily better, get to know Emily's research a little bit more, and fulfill that personal interest of mine. However, I'm really excited to talk with Emily for this episode because there is exciting research on the horizon that Emily is engaged in, and I'd love to share that with our audience. So to start us off, Emily, tell us a bit more about yourself and who you are, what you do as a faculty member. Yeah, so I'm currently an assistant professor tenure track in the School of Nursing here at McMaster University. I actually joined the School of Nursing in July of 2021, so fairly recently. And prior to my position here, I actually worked as a public health nurse. So my clinical background is in public health nursing, specifically in chronic disease prevention and school health. So a lot of my teaching um, responsibilities and research interests really relate to my experiences as a public health nurse. So I have a lot of interest in critical appraisal, knowledge translation, um, the public health workforce and system. Now, I've interacted with you primarily because of your extensive expertise in critical appraisal and research. And I never actually asked you, Emily, how did you even become interested in research? How did you move in the direction of nursing research from your public health nursing clinical background? So truthfully, my interest in research really began when I was an undergraduate student here at McMaster. So I remember being a third year undergraduate nursing student here and taking the 3CO4 critical appraisal course, which I now teach, which is really interesting. And I I remember being in that specific class where we learned about how to apply critical appraisal principles to different design types and getting really excited about um, learning how to interpret results and understanding methodological quality. And that's when I thought, oh, I could really see myself being a nursing researcher someday. Um, and so that interest in critical appraisal really continued when I was a public health nurse. 
and trying to understand how we could integrate best evidence into our public health nursing practice. And so that's how I decided to pursue graduate education, uh, specifically in nursing and related to evidence-informed decision-making in the context of public health. That's great. And it's a perfect segue into the focus of our conversation today, because a few months ago, I saw the announcement come out that you had won a couple of grants. And I was was so excited. And I immediately, after seeing that announcement, reached out to you and asked if you wanted to join me on this podcast, because I wanted to hear a bit more about the grants that you had received, as well as a bit of the story behind what led to your teams submitting these grants and also what you're looking or exploring further in these grants. So there were two grants at the time that were announced. One was a grant from the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council, or SHRC, And another one was with the Canadian Institutes of Health Research, or CIHR. So with the SHRC grant and with the CIHR grant, let's break it down. Tell me a little bit more about the SHRC grant and the team that is coming together to explore what topic. Yeah, so we are so excited about both grants. Um, For this first SHRC grant, So the title of that grant is Optimizing Local Intersectoral Partnerships to Mobilize Research Evidence in School Mental Health. A really long title, um, but essentially what we're hoping to to do is to develop a research practice partnership. And this means that we're um, gathering a collaboration of practitioners, researchers, and intermediary organizations to generate and mobilize research evidence around youth mental health youth mental health and disseminate it and um, hopefully encourage uptake within schools. So this is a three-year project. We have a lot of different partners. We have researchers from McMaster, from University of Waterloo, from Brock University. We also are working with two public health units in Ontario and two Ontario school boards as well. And the focus is to really work together to generate evidence around school mental health and also um, interventions that support mental health of youth, and then work together to come up with strategies that can help disseminate it to schools and public health units, and then help to encourage the uptake of it so that they can develop action plans within their individual schools on best practice interventions uh, for school-based mental health. It's pretty incredible, Emily, when you're describing even the members of your team, when you're talking about individuals representing multiple universities, individuals representing public health groups and organizations, and also the school system. I, I'm curious. I mean, I know that that's how you're, you're describing your team members like, oh, yeah, you know, these are the people involved. But I imagine that there was a lot of work and effort in building these connections and relationships before you were even gathering them together for this grant. Could you tell me a little bit about those relationships and how you develop those relationships? 
Yeah, so um, one of the major partners is um, Dr. Scott Leatherdale and Dr. Karen Patty, who are co-leads or co-principal investigators of the COMPASS study. And that is a um, prospective cohort study that collects um, data on youth health across Canada. And so I actually was doing my postdoc with Dr. Leatherdale. Um, and so that's how I became a collaborator with his team um, from the COMPASS study. And also one of my colleagues and um, my previous PhD and postdoc supervisor, Dr. Maureen Dobbins, who's the scientific director of the National Collaborating Center for Methods and Tools, um, who are experts in, in evidence-informed decision-making. That, that was an established relationship as, as I was a trainee and now uh, a colleague of Dr. Dobbins as well. Um, and through those linkages, primarily through uh, my work with a COMPASS study, we were able to develop partnerships or they already have established partnerships with uh, school, the two school boards that we're working with and the two public health units that we're working with as well. So I like to say that, um, you know, it's about having others connect you to um, other partners that really helps to um, provide a foundation for building these research partnerships. And also, you know, I like to think that I drew upon also my background as a public health nurse. So I was a school public health nurse and I worked a lot with school boards. Um, and so, you know, how to navigate those processes in terms of building relationships and understanding what the, you know, the vision is or the main objectives of each partner is really important in terms of building that foundation for, for a research project as well. That's incredible. And you're really highlighting the value and the importance of importance of these interdisciplinary and intersectoral collaborations in advancing your area of research and advancing public health. I am curious about the specifics around what you're investigating with school health. Just reading the news, being uh, somewhat aware of the challenges that youth are experiencing with mental health, particularly during and post-COVID, and the effects that this has had on our youth. What are the areas that you will be focusing on with school health or youth mental health? So we're really looking at the partnership and how the partnership works. Um, so we're really trying to understand what are the factors that facilitate or impede the successful implementation of how we're working as a partnership. Um, and we're also trying to, to determine the extent to which this partnered knowledge mobilization approach influences the availability and the uptake of research evidence on youth mental health well-being. So we're, we're, we don't really have a clear understanding in terms of um, what those best practice interventions are as of yet, because that's something that we're hoping is going to emerge from the partnership. So there's a lot of, um, I guess, products or a lot of outcomes that will emerge as we're working together over the course of the three years. Excellent. So I look forward to seeing how this project evolves and how you're gaining new insights along the way. So you said that this was a three-year project and are you right at the start of this or has this project already been initiated? 
we are right at the very beginning. Um, Excellent. Uh, and so we're really just in the planning stages. And one of our, the first activities that we're hoping to achieve by the end of the summer is around training for public health staff of the two public health units that we're partnered with, um, and also training for school administrators around how to look at data um, on the student population um, at the individual school level around mental health, but also how to use that data and how to combine it with data around what are the best practices in terms of youth mental health interventions so that schools and public health can collectively develop these action plans on how to address some of the priority issues around mental health at the individual school level and at the board level as well. I love it. This is directly aligned with your expertise as well. When you're saying training others on how to look yeah. at data, training others on how to interpret that data, I'm thinking you're exactly implementing your, your skill set around critical appraisal and you're applying it to a very useful context of training school board members, public health nurses and units and public health workers in these, uh, in these environments. Yeah, when I first got into nursing uh, research, that was really the hope to really engage in, a, in an applied program of research um, and trying to bring all of the ideas that I had while I was a frontline public health nurse, combining it with my understanding of research and critical appraisal so that when I moved forward with my um, program of research as a nursing scientist, that all those ideas would combine together. Yeah, and all those skill sets, you're yeah. really applying uh, to arenas outside of the formal academic environment, and you're really supporting the skill development or skill set development across multiple sectors. That's really exciting. Yes, exactly. The other study that you, or the other grant that you received was a Canadian Institutes of Health Research or CIHR operating grant. So that's really exciting and congratulations on that grant as well. Could you tell us a little bit more about that one? Thanks so much, Ruth. Yes, and so this is actually related to mental health um, as well, um, but in a different population. So what we were hoping to achieve from this project was to explore the prevalence of burnout, anxiety, depression, and intention to leave among the public health workforce, specifically in Canada. Um, so how this emerged was I was conducting a literature review for one of my other projects and trying to locate some evidence around the state of mental health of the workforce, specifically in public health. And what I found was a huge gap. Um, there was a lot of information on how COVID-19 was impacting uh, healthcare workers in acute care settings or primary care settings, but not necessarily um, giving us an understanding about the state of mental health um, and intention to leave in the context of public health. So that's really where this project emerged from. Um, and this is, this is a cross-sectional study. So we've collected our data and we've analyzed our data and now we're just writing up the results um, for our survey. Okay, so much farther along in the process and you have some insights uh, that I imagine are right now not ready to be shared, but you're, you're forming some um, initial conclusions. 
Absolutely. And so, um, you know, generally I can share with you, unsurprisingly, we found that there were, during the first wave of the, of the pandemic, really high prevalence in terms of all of these mental health outcomes, um, in terms of burnout, depression, and anxiety. Uh, we asked um, public health workers, so our sample was about just over 600 across Canada. So we asked them to reflect on the first wave of the pandemic and then two weeks prior to when they completed the survey. And what we noted were, were really vast differences in terms of the prevalence um, of these mental health outcomes between these two time points. So really high prevalence in the first wave of the pandemic compared to decreased prevalence in terms of mental health within the second time period. And the second time period was, was collected in the later part of the pandemic, um, just recently um, between November, 2022 and January, 2023. Really important data and really important information to have. I wonder what is your perspective and your team's perspective in terms of what you will do with this information and where you hope this these results will move us forward? Yeah, this is a great question and something that we actually were just discussing at our last team meeting. Mm -hmm. We were really trying to think about knowledge trans, the knowledge translation or the knowledge dissemination piece and who needs to see this, these results or see this data. And so trying to think of those tables where there are decision makers, both at the individual or local level and at the provincial level as well, in terms of understanding this is a real challenge for public health workers. And um, they're still dealing with the effects or the detrimental effects to their mental health out to their mental health post COVID-19. Um, and so one of the, the second component of our project is, is a systematic review that we're currently working on, which is to identify effective strategies and interventions to support the mental health of healthcare workers during epidemics and pandemics. So we're just in the analysis phase right now, but we're hoping to bring together when we disseminate this data, you know, this understanding of this is a real challenge in terms of mental health, but also here are some potential interventions that we can use to, to support the healthcare workforce in the future when we do go through a pandemic or an epidemic again. Wow, that's incredible. And I'm, I'm definitely getting a sense of how important and relevant this information is. And immediately thinking about all those decision makers, policymakers, funders that need to have this information so that they would support our healthcare workers, support our public health units to have the necessary resources to support the individuals that are affected and demonstrating those outcomes of burnout, intention to leave, any of the other negative mental health consequences from COVID. Absolutely. And I will mention too, just, I talked a little bit about mental health, but we, we did collect data on intention to leave as well. Um, and I can share that within our sample, there were participants that said that they had an intention to leave their public health position within the following year. So that's, you know, it's not half of the of our sample, but it's pretty substantial amount 
who are thinking about leaving their position in public health. And so what are the implications of this as we move forward with public health services and programming? And we know that there are uh, after effects of the COVID-19 pandemic in terms of chronic disease um, and also other infectious diseases as well. So something to consider for, like you said, the policymakers and the decision makers around retention and recruitment of the public health workforce as well. Yes, and supporting those that stay as well as supporting those that want to leave to stay as well. And how important that is because I see this not only in public health, but also in so many other areas of health professional practice and not just for nurses as well. We're seeing across the board with various health professionals that their high percentages or high rates of intention to leave, intention to to, uh, get out of practice or to not continue in practice. And that's concerning because of the domino effect it would have on the healthcare system. And so this, I see how valuable and important this work is. And I'm so glad that you're involved with it. I also wonder, as you're engaging in these areas or in this research, not only with the applied areas of supporting youth mental health and school health, but also understanding our healthcare workforce and their experiences with uh, COVID and post-COVID. I imagine that you're also continuing to think about the future and the future of your, your own research. So I wanted to ask, what are the most exciting and energizing aspects of your research? And perhaps even what trends do you see for the future or new opportunities that you are envisioning? Yeah, so yes, our teams are already thinking about what future grants we can be applying for um, or future projects we can invest our time and energy into. And, And one of the things that our team has talked about is really around this gap in terms of public health workforce planning. Um and collecting data around the public health workforce. So for our current project, we collected data that was very specific to the context of COVID-19, but there is still a a large gap in terms of the state of the public health workforce in general, which would be important, as I mentioned, in terms of making decisions around investments or making decisions around recruitment or retention. So what we're hoping to do is mirror some of the work that's been done in the United States around uh, the public health workforce and trying to standardize workforce data and collect it in a systematic way, uh, both at the provincial level and and at the national level as well, so that it can be used uh, around those funding, for those funding decisions or for those recruitment or retention decisions as well. So that's in terms of the the public health workforce. And then uh, in terms of this knowledge translation work that we're doing in in youth mental health, we see this as as kind of like a pilot project. Um, And our hope is to develop some sort of partnership framework framework in terms of how schools, how public health partners and how researchers can work effectively together to generate and mobilize data and evidence that's being produced in volumes 
um, and, and have it applied at the local level to make substantial impact in terms of, of youth mental health outcomes. That's really cool. And if I'm hearing you correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, there, there seems to be a thread in the work that you're, you're pursuing and the directions that you're foreseeing in the future. One is around building systems that collect data in a way that is systematic, structured, consistent, easy to access, so that in your analysis of that data, you can then connect community partners to the results that have been generated from that data, that community partners and public health units, school boards, et cetera, can then use that data to then apply the results from that data to enacting evidence-informed actions and interventions within their respective contexts. Does that, does that seem to connect? That was a really great way to summarize both, uh, Ruth. I've actually never thought or, or sat down to think about how these two kind of connect, but that was a really great summary of, of building um, a system, building mm. systems within public health practice. Yeah, and yeah. what is so exciting to hear you describe that is that it so closely aligns with your expertise and your your capabilities with critical appraisal, evidence-based decision making, uh, th that whole like research data analysis piece, and it connects to your interest in the applied area or the applied yes. sciences. I will say too, something that I think has been really critical as I um, make these, um, as I develop these relationships and try to build these foundational partnerships is um, being, having that background as a public health nurse was so critical. One of the, you know, one of our primary responsibilities um, when I was a public health nurse was around community capacity building and, mm. and developing partnerships. And so I think that also has been really critical as I move forward with research as well. It's just, it's transferring all of that um, community development, partnership development, which I did in the community, but now in a research uh, type of environment. Yes. That has also been really important as well. Yes, and you're drawing from your practice as a public health nurse to inform how you're setting up these systems. Absolutely. That's great, Emily. I'm so glad to have had this opportunity to talk with you, and I'm so glad to hear about these grants that you've received recently, and I look forward to seeing the results that come from your SHIRT grants as well as uh, the final stages of your CIHR grant as well. Thank you so much, Ruth, for the opportunity. Thank you for tuning in to the Mac PFD Spark podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Office for Continuing Professional Development and the Program for Faculty Development at McMaster University's Faculty of Health Sciences. For more information on faculty development, be sure to check out our website at macpfd.ca. That's macpfd.ca. Here you can find other episodes as well as resources for your personal and professional development. A quick shout out to our sound engineer, 
Ishan Mania Panda, who has been an amazing asset to our team. Another shout out to Scott Holmes, who composed and supplied us with the music you've been listening to. That brings us to the end of this episode. We hope you've enjoyed it, and be sure to tune in for our future episodes.